0: Part of what makes stories like this simultaneously so tragic and so fascinating is you see this collision of, on the one hand, human ingenuity and ambition and adventurousness, and then on the other, basic human limitations. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister.
1: And I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse.
0: As of this recording... This search effort is now critical for the missing Titan submersible. So make some allowances for us here. As this is by the time that this makes its debut, we may have more information on what has happened. At this point, though, Nathan, we are recording this on a Thursday morning. And the estimate was that oxygen levels would well, that oxygen would probably run out early This morning, of -hmm. this recording. So at the moment, the situation I would say looks grim, and it's very sad. It's interesting. Well, I suppose it's not that surprising the way this has captured national attention. It's a fascinating expedition to begin with. People rarely go to those so that those depths. I mean, how many feet are we talking? Twelve thousand, over twelve thousand feet, over twelve
1: thousand. Yeah. Yeah. There are some similarities here to some other types of um or a couple of things just to comment that I think make it interesting. You also have the same sense when there's a mine collapse and people are buried deeply underground. I think there, some of these you can almost become claustrophobic just thinking about it or reading about it. So there's there's that idea of being trapped deeply under something. Um, there's also a, a very odd psychological thing that's happening here which so yeah oxygen probably has run out for them at this point but there are a whole lot of other ways that this could gone instantaneously wrong um decompression at depth uh all Mm -hmm. all sorts of other ways in which they could have died instantly so there's a a low chance that it came down to just oxygen but even at this point we're beyond that but very rarely do you have a or do we think of death with a specific timestamp to it So there are people who have, you know, a terminal cancer, perhaps, and the doctors say you have four months to live. Very rarely do we calculate, okay, and they have 96 hours of oxygen, and at this point, then it's over. So um, there's that thing going on, which makes it a little bit interesting um, and or sad, but that's a unique feature. Very few people have the opportunity to have almost um, two-the-hour timestamp for their death, apart from an execution or something. So there's that element happening. And then also this whole story, and same thing with a with a mine collapse shows our limitations of technology. Like we just don't have a whole lot of things that can be helpful in this situation. And even if they were trapped at a depth, how would you attach and bring them up? I mean, the decompression mm-hmm. and all of that, like there's so many variables at play here that the best military resources of the world couldn't help if they wanted to. We're we're in, you know, we think of space as an unexplored frontier, which it is, but the the deep ocean depths also are. So it's a, it's a combination of variables of science, of psychology, of human physiology. And then you have the cultural punditry of like, well, what a bunch of idiots. They jumped into this thing and paid a quarter million dollars for a, you know, something to build a home Depot, which isn't quite right. But, um, there's, there's a flippancy, there's a, there's a fascination, there's a sorrow. It it pulls at all of the corners of human curiosity, and so I think that's why it catches our attention,
0: for sure. And I think, yeah, one oceanographer made the comment, and that yeah, the the bottom of the ocean is a frontier and less charted than the moon was one comment that I saw. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have the the notion of alien territory, an extremely exotic region the the pressure down there is absolutely tremendous and this this same scientist by the way in her her view something went catastrophically wrong to sever the communication like that so she thinks likely decompression happened or something like mm-hmm. that and it was pretty it was pretty fast but an, well, another yeah instantaneous another another note on the whole you know the people who are kind of jeering a little bit here this has been going on for a long time though many there are many underwater explorations and expeditions that have been happening successfully now that doesn't change the fact that this is one of those this is one of those areas areas where there's really zero margin for for serious error Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: people i mean submersibles have have gone to the mariana trench which is that's deeper than this than this particular journey was and some notable celebrities have made this trip as well i think the name that comes most readily to mind is james cameron director of the movie titanic he's actually explored the wreckage hmm. from a submersible as well so all that to say this is this is something that has has been going on for a while so it's it's not like getting into that unit was a completely reckless decision i just think it's worth putting that out there
1: well and so so even if it was um i had read some things that other people who had taken the journey said about it and they said like in the documentation that you sign it mentions at least three times on the first page that there's a chance you'll die so there's there's a sense in which maybe the risk were yeah it, it's hard to calculate the risk but people had informed consent to do it now that doesn't divert the tragedy but it does i think push at the boundary of what is an accident because let's say you die yes. hiking everest or in something like this um so yeah i yeah. guess there's a difference between an accident and an avoidable accident and this isn't an avo- avoidable accident um so maybe maybe yeah, I haven't thought too much about that distinction, but I think that's accurate.
0: It is that's that's a helpful way to put it, I think, right now. It it definitely an avoidable accident. There, there are actually a number of different actions that could, could go under that heading, by the way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I mean, I thought one of the one of my first thoughts, of course, was really just scientific research and exploration. So a lot of the the people I've been reading on this are themselves scientists who have made similar journeys. One again, this is this the same oceanographer. She was hesitant to talk about this because it was obviously psychologically very menacing to her, but at one point, they got very far down, thousands of feet down, and everything just went black in the vessel. All the lights went off all the but it looked like like some sort of a who knows a power surge or something like that and so then they they instantly made the you know went right back came right back up and mm-hmm. And got out but even that one (laughs) that one kind of misfire so to speak was so yeah terrifying and and disconcerting so people still you there's there's a there's a grittiness to to what you're doing and also nathan here's something else i've been following i'm always you know maybe this is an ill-advised thing sometimes i follow just commentary on social media from different people and so you get social media is social media i don't think it's an it's a fair representation of of people as they really are just to put yeah. that yeah put that out there i mean people if you're talking with somebody face to face nobody's going to speak the way they do in some of those in you know on social media platforms because social media is is really all about self expression so you you're it's geared to make you be provocative so i think i don't think I think people are better than than some of their comments. That might sound naive, but I, I do. But you have you so you see some people who are are kind of jeering a little bit. Now, just note again the caveat I just entered there. But then there are some people. Well, why why can't we? Why is this taking so long? Why can't this be recovered? And this brings in what I sometimes call the magical view of technology. Mm-hmm. And we were one of one of the genres. So I like I like a lot of genre fiction. And one of the, the genres that Nathan's familiar with as well is what's sometimes termed hard science fiction. And just to give you a, a contrast here, there's there's science fiction that falls a little bit more in the fantasy realm. So a movie like Star Wars is more fantasy. And even the technology in Star Wars is is kind of almost magical. You have some elements. But contrast that with a film like alien or or blade runner where things break down and it takes a long time to fix them you have real you have malfunctioning hardware you have all of that th- those kinds of problems you have to troubleshoot these novels hard science fiction is often written by people with an engineering background <laughs> with an interest in in mm-hmm. technology so all that to say when you're confronted with something like this it's an absolute logistical nightmare because even if they they locate this vessel extracting it from those kinds of depths with the weight that it is all of all of that presents an absolute nightmare but finding oh yeah how many people more have a more... twelve
1: thousand foot cable lying around exactly and right. how do you attach 12, it at the bottom because i mean we have we have some things that could be helpful on this but they're on the other side of the world underwater i so, i mean just the timing it's you know
0: And And you're searching, are you the size
1: of Connecticut? I think they were scanning. The size of Connecticut. Yeah. Most of us cannot conceive almost two miles down. I mean, no. So so it's not square feet you're searching. Yeah. It's cubic feet you're searching. The size of Connecticut, 12. I mean, yeah. It's so, I mean, there was a little bit of excitement with it, like, oh, we heard a banging noise. And I was like, oh, that could be anything. Even if you were within a cubic mile of it. It could still be never found, and you and, well, and, and, and there I, are lots of noises yeah. under the ocean that are not human that make interesting noises too, so yeah, yeah,
0: i mean, i I think there's a very strong chance that this vessel itself will will remain lost and never be recovered. but you 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 look at all those factors and you and you start to recognize hard limitations, and the more now we're at a point now now we're at a point now redundancy there we're now at the point i think where you're seeing a lot more people speaking very uh, sort of honestly and saying i mean i've heard i've heard some military personnel say this is basically impossible you're you're looking at you're looking at a search and rescue party for this is in other words this is really probably beyond our capabilities and that's still a shock to the system because you have here once again Part of what makes what's what makes these these kinds of stories so powerful and sad and also tragic in their dimensions is you have the collision of human ingenuity and ambition and adventurousness, and then just basic human limitations. Mm-hmm. So you have mm-hmm. an amazing piece of technology that is designed to withstand those tremendous pressures down there. You have all the the minds put this together, conceived of this and you have this kind of adventurous excursion but if one if one thing goes wrong even one small thing in these kinds of circumstances it's all over
1: so and hang on a second so here's we just here, yeah well here's i would say that the ocean gate submersible because everybody's like well this was you know it wasn't up to rigorous standards it wasn't following the protocol for safety for you know it was a it was a non-regulated marine craft all of that is true but its safety record was better than any of the first airplanes. Your your yeah. chance of coming back alive from that was far greater than any of the first Arctic or polar explorations. I mean, any any early boundary pushing, privately funded exploration has always been inherently risky, and I would say that is part of why there's the price tag on it is because. That's the, that's the adventure of it. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this is a little bit, this is kind of cool. So I, in my mind, I'll try to explain this in a podcast worthy way. It's better as, as a visual, but if you imagine, and there was a, an adventure director who, who pointed this out to me one time. So if you imagine an X, Y axis and on the, um, let's on the Y, on the Y axis. So the one going up put difficulty and on the x-axis put competency or skill. So you have um, skill on the x-axis and competency on the y-axis. And if you're participating in an activity where you are deeply skilled and it is not difficult, you're bored. So anytime you're highly skilled and the task is not difficult, you're bored. Anytime that you are involved in a task that is highly difficult and you have low skill, you're in danger. And then there's this sweet spot right through the middle, so this would be like um a forty five degree angle out of your hmm. uh, x y axis. There's a sweet spot line there, which is called adventure. And adventure is when you're balancing your competency and the difficulty of the task perfectly. So imagine a rock climber who's doing a difficult route but is really skilled. they're going to find that as an adventure where Maybe you or I doing a really difficult route, that would be dangerous. And if it's a simple route, then somebody highly skilled would see. You see what I'm saying? So there's I think in our in our yearning for adventure, we're always flirting with that line of escaping boredom without crossing into danger. That is a balance of the difficulty and our competency that gives us a sense of adventure. And so that's why there are some things that are much safer for some people to do than for others. Um, because their skill is mm-hmm. is different in the same situation. So I think there's always been in, in humanity that urge for adventure and pushing the boundary, um, and sometimes we get it wrong, and that leads to danger. Um, and that can, like you said, happen very quickly for for any task or any reason. So for me, it's not inconceivable that people chose to do this and did it. and And knowing that it was risky, still chose to do it. I mean people do that all the time whether it's hand gliding um you know fill in the gap of voyeuristic drug experiences whatever um (laughs) it's it's a humans are risk-taking creatures and sometimes um and i think there can be a wrong reason for it there can be a desperation for adventure that satisfies an adrenaline rush of why do you when you're young feel like you need to ride your motorcycle 147 miles an hour without a helmet just to get the thrill of it. Um, clearly unhealthy. So it's, yeah, I I don't know what that says about us uh, as kind of boundary pushing creatures, even in the face of what we know to be dangerous. If we have a relative degree of our own competency or certainty, we're, we're willing to do it.
0: It says it's in some ways, I think it's, it's mysterious. It's tempting to say, "Well, because we're so bored these days, we're th- we're thrill seekers, we're ex- we're adrenaline junkies, and we just need one more thrill." But it's not limited to our own day. This is this is a perennial human habit.
1: But I, I don't also I also don't think it's bad, though. I think we were built to discover.
0: No. I think we were too, and see, and that's the balance that I that I want to bring. To this conversation, and I th- this is why I think it's in some ways it's perfect for for you, Nathan. Because I do see you as an adventurer, not a reckless person, but an adventurer, a person interested in in discovery and in new new experiences. You're responsible about it, but you do take you do take risks. I love it when we we talk about this often. When we talk about the bicycle. I think that's a very <laughs> helpful way to explore basic risk risk and you've had you've had some the bike the bicycle has in a, in a manner of speaking hurt you pretty badly over the <laughs> some years Some of my
1: bicycle rides have turned into helicopter rides, we'll put it that way. Yes. And yet you still get on a bicycle, don't you? And teach my kids and ride unicycles. Yeah, so it's yes. So and I think
0: part of But I wear a helmet now. Part of the, well, yes. as as you ought to. But no discovery is a good thing but see there's this is where there, there's a difficulty when we we it's also important that we understand our limitations and our boundaries and this is going to look different in different situations obviously there's not a one size fits all with this but I'm thinking and this might take us I hope this doesn't take us too far afield it has a direct bearing on the conversation but theologians used to warn us a lot more than they do now but used to warn us about what they called the sin of curiosity. Hmm. And of course what they had in mind was vain or idle speculation obviously. Yeah. Scripture has has something to say about that as well being you know <laughs> you know tossed about by the wind of every every new interesting argument or exotic doctrine but that's it actually has a has a more broad application as well that that is really looking at a penchant in human life, to to transgress boundaries and to not take into consideration our human limitations, I've used the word limitations a lot. Let me expound on that because I, I think it's it's quite important. May I suggest to you that if you are a person who is in adulthood and you're out of touch with your limitations, you're a very dangerous person. <laughs> you need to and know, not just to you yourself need to be familiar. Not just to yourself. Yeah. Yes. You're Nobody a danger ever said to yourself, it was the cat's but, uh, curiosity that got it killed.
1: Nobody said it was the cat's curiosity <laughs> that got it killed. <laughs> Sometimes your curiosity yeah. can be damaging. Yeah.
0: Right. And when I've met people who I would I would call reckless, and I've I've met a few, as I'm sure I'm sure many of our listeners have as well. One of the common thread with them is that they didn't understand their limitations. They had an mm-hmm. inaccurate view of their capacities. And it didn't mean that they were incompetent. In fact, many of these people are often very gifted. But giftedness can deceive us. We can become intoxicated with our giftedness and think we can do more than we can. And that's where when you, when you run into the area of scientific innovation, technological innovation, and you see some of these brilliant discoveries, we make a basic Michael Crichton kind of mistake sometimes when we we take our technology into highly highly complex systems which is nature is a highly complex system the <laughs> the bottom of, of the ocean is a highly complex system that we have barely wrapped we have not wrapped our minds around it at all but it is a it is a frontier it's largely uncharted it's unexplored but i think so i think on the one hand i want to say scientific ex- exploration Yes, it's wonderful scientific, scientific innovation and, and, and progress there and research all good, but we are not so good at saying, wait, should we do this though?
1: We can. Yeah, okay. well, Looks on. like so we what, can. Should we? Well, What's the, so there's also a, a reckless pursuit or adventure for Vainglory. So the evil Knievel sure. type character who does things that'll probably get you killed, um, but it gets a lot of likes on social media or you get a TV show out of it. Or so being stupid with your body in order to gain attention seems to me to be categorically different than pushing the boundaries of human knowledge, um, just out of sheer curiosity. Um, and I'm not saying that those boundaries are are necessarily dangerous, but I I think they're, yeah, I want to, I think that's an important distinction just to throw that out there too. But there's a mathematical, um, proof of your, statements that are Cameron which is that auto insurance for teenage boys is much higher than it is for anybody else because statistically yeah. it's a group of people who doesn't understand their own limitations and has a set of skills that um they tend to creep past
0: that's right yeah teenagers have and teenage males do have that kind of often sense of immortality which is very dangerous but when you you look at modern ambitions to know more to press to press further into regions undiscovered again that all sounds really good and i think we're all primed to see that as unquestioningly good but it isn't always we we need to allow room for reflection and he- and hesitation there as well because we are human beings and We have limitations, and so this is again. I'm I'm aware that some people listening will think, well, okay, by that by that logic, would we ever go to space? Would would we ever go to the moon? What I'm trying to point out is, I'm not saying necessarily we shouldn't go to, or yeah, right, we shouldn't go to space, play you know, go to the moon, or or play football. I'm saying that the the notion that we would that we would stop and think twice about it seems very foreign now. And that says something about the contemporary mindset. Mm. I, well, think I think there's so, yeah, more we, of a casual disregard. Yeah, there's, but there's also i I'm, I'm open to challenge there.
1: Yeah. Well. Okay. So I would say yes, but there's an in between category, and there's an extreme in the other direction, which is that everything is dangerous and is about to kill us. Um. So my wife and I lived in a place that had, you know, there were ticks. Um. It was a ticky place. And by and large, no adult let their children play in the woods. And we we did let our kids play in the woods. And we made a contest. Who has the most ticks when they get back? Um, ticks, there's an inherent risk to getting bitten by a tick. If you remove them correctly within the proper amount of time, that's fairly low. And so we just made the calculation. We would rather our children live off of the sidewalks and have to remove a tick once a month than we would have kids who only lived on the sidewalk. So I think part of part of it for me is oftentimes there there's an in, for me there's an in between spot there of like okay that activity isn't actually statistically as dangerous as so there's a paranoia that grips us like we're 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 afraid of things that used to be normal that's one end of it and then a blatant disregard for limitations in the other so part of being of humaning well or or living well is finding that like what is the actual boundary of the danger and for that, most of those um, in my life have opened up because of people that I've known who have done it and said, "Actually, here's the principle at play, and so you can cross this boundary." Um, so whether it's not like, well, I won't give examples because <laughs> it might sound dangerous, and you shouldn't try this at home, kids. But I don't. I don't know. I th- in my life, I've I've thrived in that in between spot of like things where some people are paranoid of and I'm like, well, the boundary isn't really there. Um, so, so finding the boundaries of what's actually dangerous, I think is, uh, is a fun part of, um, discovery and continual growth and education. So anyway, let me make a case for not overdoing it in the other direction.
0: Helpful comments because yeah, on the one hand I'm, I'm talking about grand scientific ambitions that take us into uncharted territory, but you're mentioning also, are extremely risk-averse culture, where we're basically Mm. now terrified of things that even 50 years ago, nobody batted an eye about. Nobody cared. I remember my mom, the comment on ticks is funny. I remember my mom say, when we pulled a tick off of my son, and I was just, you know, horror, I was just horrified, and my mom said, oh, gosh, yeah, we used to come out of the woods and, and just pull them off each other all the time. He'll be fine. And so yeah, so it was you, you need the community, a, though.
1: Yeah. You need other people's experience yes. to say you can do this and live.
0: Yes, so we are. Yeah, as a culture, we, we can t- we can be we nearly fetishize safety, but that has a bearing on on I think the final place I want to go here, which goes back to your accident question, because I think that really is an interesting question: Is there such a thing as an accident? Because nowadays, it's very I would. I think part of the reason we have a hard time with any accidents part of it is you know there's a whole complex legal system that's
1: mm-hmm.
0: designed to compensate victims but part of it is also we're so addicted to the notion that we're in control it's almost as it's almost as if we cannot countenance something being an accident so my question here is could we ever could we see this as an accident could we see this missing titan this whole catastrophe could we see it as an accident because my my thought here is that we're probably going to get a lot of incriminating kind of verbiage about the company about negligence about you know you can if you if you peer into a company's records you're going to be able to find some some form of complacency maybe so some safety standard wasn't was violated here there there it is there's the missing piece of the puzzle
1: let me give you a vote for accident on this which is that the ceo of the company was on the submersible so i think if you're if you're talking negligence and, and you're in charge of the thing and you think it's dangerous you're not going to have somebody bolt you into it um so now whether or not that was he had the skills or the knowledge to do that well. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm, I'm happy with the category avoidable accident, but I don't think I oh, want yeah, to put moral too, blame. I, I don't want, I don't want to put, I don't want to, I don't know enough yet to assign any moral blame on the situation. Yeah. And and so I think the, the morality part of it is important for whether or not it was an accident. So if uh, a drunk driver kills someone, that's, that's not really an mm-hmm. accident. Um, so in, in this, I think whether or not it was wise, I don't know that it was immoral and clearly was no, I don't think there was any a negligent, intentional negligence or ill intent. Um, and we have to grant that to each other's as humans in order to live well in community to say, I'm sorry, I backed into your car. I really wasn't trying to. it's purely a function you know that that's Mm -hmm. part of what it means to live in a world with other people
0: no i think that and i think that's a healthy response at the time you know right now at this juncture i yeah i'm my my inclination is that the public will probably the public as in just many you know lots of people will there'll be a search for some kind of a scapegoat here i don't Mm -hmm. know that people will be content to see it as an accident.
1: Yeah, so causation gives us certainty. We can stop asking our questions when we feel like we've settled mm-hmm. the whys. And some of these, I, well, many things in life, many things, um, you, you're never going to get 100% certainty of, of why they happen this side of eternity. But here's here's one little thing, just to as we bring this to a close. I I found my immediate, response being like oh this is really interesting i wonder about the air pressure and i was challenged by people who said we need to be praying for these people if they're still alive Um, and and so that was a quick pivot for me but that's that's true you think about the psychology of being trapped in uh, something the size of a minivan two miles under the ocean with your son knowing you're going to die Um, there's some wild uh, heartbreak and sorrow in that. And so over the last few days, my, my mind has been drifting to passages about, so yes, human limitations, they're there. One of the things that we celebrate and worship God for are his lack of limitations, specifically when it comes to his creation and where his presence can be known. And I was thinking you have Jonah there's an there's an entrapped, uh, deep underwater experience and somebody praying and meeting with God and having a time of repentance. You have Psalm 139 where David is talking about, if I go to the heavens, um, well, he's saying, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wing of, of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. And he goes on to talk about darkness and light and God knowing us. And so there's a a sense of knowing that humans will always cross our limitations and boundaries, but but that doesn't disconnect us from God in a meaningful way for those who are longing to know his presence. So those are boundaries um, geographically, physiologically. You can pray on the moon, and you can pray in the Mariana Trench. You can pray at the site of the Titanic. if you've crossed the boundaries of what's normal for humanity there, but you can also pray on the other side of crossing the boundaries of, of deep sin in your life of crossing the boundaries of righteousness that God has set for us. Even on the other side of those lines that we cross, there is a God who is able to handle and to um, meet us where we are. And so that's a, a comforting thing. That's, that's not a, uh, a license to be flippant with your life, but it's an encouragement to know that even when we find ourselves in situations that in hindsight, we'd say really wish I hadn't done that, that that does not exclude us from the presence of a God who desires to meet us where we are and to restore us into the way that things ought to be. And that ultimately is the, the power of his presence in our relationship with him, even if it cost us our physical lives in doing so. And so there's a, a, a broader and a deeper sense here. I think uh, we may never know what happened but there are things that we can reflect on in our own lives about how we think of these people weren't, aren't, you know, just because they had a lot of money doesn't mean they were more valuable than anybody else who died, um, in any other way, uh, during this time. But they, but they, they died in such a way that it, um, can make us think some big thoughts that I think help us, um, focus on what we want to focus on moving forward in our own lives since if you're listening to this the lord has granted you another day of life so let's figure out what to do with this one and do it well delight in discovery heed the counsel of the community around you if you start to approach the boundaries of thresh of um, danger there but also don't live a paranoid life as a christian delight in pushing the boundaries um in the ways that god created you to do have adventure delight in the goodness and the cool things that are that are happening in the world around you um I watched a ladybug hatch yesterday. Did you know they're yellow when they hatch? And then they fade to get, if their spots come in and they're red, reddish color over a couple hours, had no idea. I uh, I watched a chicken hatch some baby quail. That was cool. Wanted to see if that could happen. Uh, watched a bald eagle fly over my house this morning. Um, there are just so many majestic things within arm's reach of our lives that sometimes we have to go to great lengths to have adventure but also sometimes just staying put and watching really simple things happen are a f- powerful way of worshiping um, a God who made it all and filling the the peace of his presence as we learn new things. And we delight when we watch our children learn new things. And I can't imagine there's anything else. Um, I, I would imagine that's analogous to, to our Heavenly Father watching us discover. So uh, the world is a perilous place, but it's not a place to be paranoid of. You're in good hands. Walk in step with the Spirit. Heed the guidance of the community around you. Pray for those who have crossed the boundaries into places where they find themselves um, hopeless and rest in the care of an all-knowing God. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events, adventure, and Christian hope.
0: Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's t-o-l-together.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.